So welcome to another series of Our Future Priests for Roman Catholic Media. Today we have with us Reverend Mr. Tobias Beyer. Reverend, thanks for coming. Thank you. So we're going to let people know a bit more about you. I think we'll just start with where you were born and a little bit about your family and some of your education. Sure. I was born in Reno, Nevada. My mother was an attorney in that city at the time. My father was a business consultant. I'm the oldest of 10 children, and because we moved around the country and then we moved abroad, we were all born in different places. So my brother and I, we were born in Reno, Nevada, and then the next two were born in just out of Washington, D.C. And then in 2004, we moved to Columbia, South America, because my father is a Colombian national. So then the next six children were born down there in different parts of the country. It's a great experience growing up in a family that had dual nationality and dual citizenship and therefore two cultures. So were you speaking Spanish before you moved down to Colombia? Yes. So did you pick up the Colombiano accent? Most probably. <laughs> and did you pick up a love for arepas as well? Oh, of course. <laughs> so 2004 Colombia, when did you all come back to the U.S.? I moved back by myself in 2015 when I entered at the seminary. My family moved back to the U.S. Uh, the next year, 2016. Did you inspire the move back? No, that was other reasons. <laughs> so, obviously, we've skipped over your relationship with Catholicism and because here you are 2015 going to the seminary. So what got you to the seminary? Were you raised traditional Catholic? Were you raised set of a contest? No, I was raised a conservative Novus Ordo. But then what happened is that once we were in Colombia, we started seeing problems in the Novus Ordo. And so we were church shopping every Sunday for a while. Until finally, for some reason or other, my father ended up at, a, at an SSPX church and was astounded to hear the priest preach about sin. <laughs> Which, of course, is something unheard of in the Novus Ordo. So what year would you think this would have been? Uh, probably 2010-ish. So he, he goes, and then does he get all of the rest of you to go another Sunday, or, or did you all go together? No, we have to fly in the priest uh, of the SSPX to our region, to our state. And that's how we founded the mission in that area. And so we would fly the priest in every once every two weeks. And then it was obviously... Um, a struggle between trying to learn more about what really happened with Vatican II and how it deviated from true Catholicism and Catholic doctrine, and getting over the hump of leaving behind all the acquaintances in those in the Novus Ordo. Weren't you scared off? I, I remember the the big challenge for me, having come from the Novus Ordo to the SSPX, was all the accusations of schism and excommunicate. I'm going to go to mass. I'm going to get excommunicated after mass. What's going to happen? So how did you and your family adapt to those charges? What were you reading? What were you trying to understand? We were reading the Ottaviani's Intervention and Archbishop Lefebvre's books. Those were very helpful. Obviously, the Catechism, which was the first step to know that there was something wrong. 
And after that, it was pretty much debates between my father, my uncle, and us kids having the liberty to listen to everyone and to make, make the decision by ourselves. And obviously the problem was because we were also conservative Nose Ordites attending the Opus Dei at the time, that uh, that led to um, division within the family household. Well, yes, Opus has particular ways of doing things. They do, unfortunately. We could say. We could say. So 2010 is when you start going to the SSPX Mass, but that's still a long way to go to a set of Acanta Seminary. So what happens in that time period between 2010 and 2015? Give us that timeline. Well, despite moving around the country down in Colombia a couple more times since we started frequenting the SSPX priests for the sacraments and flying them into our region, I remember going a couple times to some of their retreats the Ignatian retreats, and I found those extremely helpful. And so that started pointing me down a direction of wanting to live even more and day-to-day -day conscientiously the, the spiritual life. Uh, one of those occasions, one of those years, an SSPX-affiliated priest, or who was affiliated to them somehow, a Benedictine happened to pass through our house. It caused a great impression on me seeing his habit and his demeanor, that I wanted to imitate that. So even though I had spoken of in the fancies of youth that I wanted to become a priest, I was thinking it more and more upon seeing this Benedictine, that I wanted to leave the world, uh, forget about going to college and follow a monastic life. And so I went to the monastery I was trying to found and I spent a whole month there and I wanted to go back. But what was the problem? I was only 16 years old and that wouldn't fly with my mother. So I had to put my dreams on hold for that. Well, she wouldn't be the first one. <laughs> and the next year, the next year I was thinking more of the priestly vocation because of its excellence and because of the need to fill in the breach, the gap. There are so few good priests. I remember when I was 11 years old, and I went to a Novus Ordo Mass at the time, and I was so disgusted as to how the Novus Ordo priests at Mass that afterwards I just stayed behind praying by myself and decided that I wanted to become a priest to fill in the gap to, because there were so many bad priests like that one I had just seen that I wanted to correct it. I wanted to, for my effort, do as much as I could to be a good priest and to remedy the fault. And so from that moment, I was looking forward, yes, and it, the desire would come and go. But ultimately, seeing this Benedictine rekindled that spirit. Afterwards, when I was 17, in May 2015, I was prompted by one of my uncles, uh, who was not a trad, to seriously consider my future, my career, and to start applying to colleges. And so I didn't want to go to college because I wanted to become a priest. And so I Googled up all the traditional Catholic seminaries in the world that I could find, and there were only about 10 or so. And upon opening the webpage for this seminary, the directories and principles were so clear, 
crystal clear against the Vatican II changes in doctrine and pointing out the problem that immediately I fell in love with this place and I wanted to come here. But you were not set of a contest at this time? At that moment, I wasn't. I mean, was... that's fascinating. Why didn't, you, why didn't you think about going to the SSPX uh, seminaries? You had been with their priests. You'd been going on their retreats. Because I mean, there's a, there's a seminary in Argentina. Because I am both an American citizen and a Colombian citizen, I could have gone to either of the SSPX seminaries, whether this country or in Argentina. But at that time, we were already noticing so many problems with the SSPX and their arguments that we weren't comfortable uh, with them anymore. And we were already receiving sacraments from a resistant priest at the time. Ah, okay. So the resistance is, is around at this time in... Yes, in 2016, 2017. And I suppose they didn't quite have a seminary put together yet or or didn't really have a program that you would probably feel comfortable with. Nah, nothing, nothing serious. So, I mean, I find, I find that astonishing that you you weren't a set of a contest, you read the principles, they all make sense to you, and you think, all right, I'll apply to this place, but how is that going to go down with resistance people? Oh, resistance people? They were very upset. <laughs> they were very upset. They called my father when they found out that I wanted to come to the seminary. <laughs> Uh, were very adamant against it. But I, on my own, and obviously secretly uh, from my parents, emailed Bishop Samworn and Father Chikada with questions and maintained a correspondence over the next few months with them. And it was only in June that I was convinced of sedevacantism and brought up the question of wanting to come to the seminary to my parents. I sat them down in the living room and said I wanted to become a priest, that I wanted to come to the seminary. And they were surprised, but then they wanted to know more about the seminary. And then you can imagine their faces uh, when they found out more about the seminary. It was more of a surprise in the case of my father. In the case of my mother, it was more of a complete disappointment. Disappointment because instead of a contism or because she wasn't sure that she wanted you to pursue the priesthood? Because you'd already had that resistance to you going off to the Benedictines. <laughs> Good thing you mentioned the distinction. She was disappointed about sedevacantism. Okay. About the intransigence that the website showed. The stability in its arguments. She wanted me to go to the FSSP, the Fraternity of St. Peter's Seminary. But fortunately, they didn't want to accept me then because I was so young. So I ended up fulfilling my application, presenting it, and coming to the seminary in September of 2015, still in the age of 17 years old. So one of the younger vocations at the time, how did reality meet your expectations? Personally, I was caught completely off guard. I thought that the studies wouldn't have been so hard because I was homeschooled. I find homeschoolers to be pretty well-educated. Do you, do you mean they were even harder than you thought even though you prepared for homeschool or you felt that homeschooling didn't prepare you for seminary life? Homeschooling prepared me wonderfully academically, but the two things that I didn't perceive I had when I was starting to study here was the time schedule. I wasn't comfortable immediately with waking up at 5 a.m. and going to bed <laughs> at 11 every day. That was grueling. 
But also, I didn't study enough philosophy as a homeschooler. So getting my philosophy under my belt was my biggest challenge here in the seminary. Fortunately, I did have some years of Latin, and that came in very helpful. And so I skipped my first year of Latin and went straight into my second year. I mean, to be fair, I don't want to be too hard on 17-year-old Reverend Bayer that he should have studied philosophy. I think, obviously, it's good that you had the Latin studies to get you there. But I, I think that's an important point that you make that I would echo for young men who are considering this life and, and for young women who are considering the religious life that... It does look very pretty and devoted and lovely, but you still have to wake up at 5 a.m. And that's the reality of seminary life that you you wake up, you pray, you eat, you study, you study some more, you pray, you study, you pray, you eat, and then you go to bed. And that's that's it. There's There's not a lot else going on. Obviously, there are times for recreation. Obviously, there are times for getting to know each other better and even playing some some basketball, if that's your inclination. But the reality is that seminary life is about training you to become a priest. And it's hard to become a priest. It's hard to train for that. And it requires a lot of time. Despite how difficult the studies are and how important, they are fascinating and supremely interesting. The classes are engaging. And learning philosophy is learning how to think. It opens your mind. And in an extremely important course, and I just wish I could have studied philosophy before coming here. To a certain degree, it would have helped me immeasurably. But it's really important to really study it well, because it's only through a good understanding of philosophy that then once I started philosophy, it was so much easier. And understanding philosophy also helped me understand the basic catechism I had learned before. So for any possible vocations, I would strongly recommend studying some simple book of logic, and studying your catechism, once again, the series version. So you come as a non-sedificantist. Obviously, you have no choice once you've been here to be a sedificantist. What's the progress for your family as this is going on So in 2015? In 2015, uh, without me knowing it, my father and my uncle had already become sedis. My brothers were completely fine with me coming to a seminary and being a sedificantist. There was no, no qualms there. I had become a sedificantist just months before coming to this seminary. Obviously, my mother was against it since she was still a Novosorite and a member of the Opus Dei. And then what happened? Well, once I was here, I focused on my studies and uh, kept tabs back home. I visited for the first time in 2016 during the Easter break. And... The tenth boy in the family, my youngest brother, was born during that vacation, so it was a great coincidence to be there. On their end, well, we always had a certain uh, split inside the family between my mother who wanted to go to the Nozordo and my father who wanted to be a trad, and my brothers and I, we leaned onto and into becoming traditionalists, traditionalist Catholics, Sedipacontists. So... Obviously, there's tension in any family, and it's remarkable all of the traditional families I know that maybe they have a sibling who is in the Novus Ordo or someone who goes to the SSPX or, or somewhere else, and, and that's always challenging to manage. 
because obviously they're family. But sometimes people just will not hear what it is that you are saying. They're attached to their particular ways. And as you already mentioned, Opus Dei, if, our, if the viewers are not familiar with you, you can read about it. They are very particular about how they run things. And so I can, even though I don't know your mother, I can understand from, from just that framing what, um, what sort of hold they, they may have. So you say that the, the schedule and philosophy were, were things that were on your mind at the beginning. Obviously, now we're in 2022. It's been some years since 2015. What has your seminary journey been like? And what have you learned about yourself along the way? Perseverance is key and constancy. Those two virtues will make up for any others that you lack. And when I started, started my seminary life in 2015, I was given the task of being the bell ringer, which I carried out for the next three years, which meant I had to get up before everyone else and be out in the hallway, whether it's very cold in the morning or whether it's a nice morning, to ring the bells and wake everyone up. Now, everyone hates the bell ringer. <laughs> but having that task helped me learn to live by the bells and utilize every single free minute of the day. And so one thing I quickly learned and adapted to was living according to the seminary schedule. We live by the bell. We know exactly what, we're we, what we are going to do, when we're going to do it, and how we're going to do it. And getting adjusted to that and then focusing on my studies and breaking all the information down was the next step on that very first year. But as much as my eyelids hurt and I was greatly frightened when each exam week came, I loved it. It made perfect sense to live here, to be here, to study here. Nothing can be more organized and beautiful because of it than the seminary life, than a vocation. After a couple years of philosophy, I started in 2018 my theology. Unfortunately, due to personal reasons, I had to take a break in my seminary uh, studies and love to the world. And during the whole of 2019 and 2020, I worked in the world as an operations manager for Bedrock Fens in Ohio, in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was a great opportunity to learn how the world works, how the business world works, and to carry out responsibilities, to deal with employees, to deal with quarterly reports, accounting, sales calls, uh, ordering materials, everything, the whole process. Obviously, I had no experience in construction, so I had to learn that from scratch. But I had a great first boss uh, in the business and great mentors. And, well, the company is still around after I left because it was a startup. So after starting the company and developing it, then um, things cleared up. I was able to come back to the seminary and I didn't hesitate. After two years in the world, my heart was still back here. And therefore, living in the world, though working and buying a house and establishing myself, was always painful because my heart was here. 
nothing could surpass or equal the beauty here in the seminary and the, the balanced life. So in January of 2021, I came back to the seminary, resumed classes, had to catch up. So I stayed during the next Easter vacation and whole summer. And I'm on track now to be ordained soon. Blessed be God. Well, we're now in the final weeks before you're in major orders now, Reverend, but you were in the final weeks before your diaconal ordination and then uh, God willing priest ordination a couple more months after that. Obviously, th- there's a character imprinted in your soul that will continue to be developed on, on throughout major orders. And I know this is a bit of a, a Novus Ordo question, it almost feels like, but how would you feel the change for you has happened? I, I mean, you're still attending classes. You're, you're, you're like a, a sem- a, a, just any other seminarian in many other ways. But what's the transition been like from, for you from minor to major orders? It's a heavy burden. And as much as I don't feel anything, but it's a conscientious knowledge that I have this great responsibility that I must live up to, that I have obligations, that in conscience and before God, I have to meet those expectations required of a cleric in major orders. And knowing that then gives a certain joy, but also a certain fright. Fright because I need to study harder. I need to pray even with greater attention and live up to those responsibilities and the God-given character and vocation. I need to make sure I'm up to those standards. So I would say it brings joy, but at the same time, it's a, a call to greater perfection. Joy and responsibility. What would you say to any young men who are considering the seminary, I, I, I don't know that they're necessarily likely to just Google a seminary and then and then read the, the pastoral and theological directory and then join. I, I think that's a unusual path that you took, a, a wonderful path, but unusual. What would you say to young men who are considering the priesthood um, but but aren't sure? Well, the first thing is to always take it seriously. We take life in the world seriously. Why not the religious life? And at the same time, as much as they take it seriously, to love truth and as much as to love their studies and to get to the bottom of any issue. If they see problems in the Novus Ordo with their local parish, to understand why those problems came about and to understand what is the correct thing, not to just run away. And if they have problems at work, Coming to the religious life is not running away from the world. On the contrary, uh, for someone who has a vocation to the religious life or to the seminary, life in the world can be seen as running away from it, like the example of Jonas and the whale. Uh, what really matters is to take it seriously and to pray seriously. Is it God, God's will or not? If it is God's will, he will show you and he will give you signs and he will open up doors, and he will coax you through the voice of your conscience. And it's a matter of sincerely following God's will through your life. And so as long as you're doing God's will, nothing else matters, and everything else will fall into place. So then the next step would be prayer. To focus on prayer and to put into practice everything that the church teaches that we have to do 
to be good Catholics. Well, I'd ask any of our viewers watching this to keep you and your classmates who are moving towards ordination in their prayers for your perseverance and for your continued success. And I thank you for your time, Reverend. Thank you very much. I appreciate the prayers.